0: If we're going to do things like that, let's just get it all together and say, listen, here are the things that you cannot be in the Hall of Fame for. We're altering the story where we're making it seem like it's something that it's not. Like it's it's OK to tell the story the way it happened and not give us the Disney version of it. Right. I don't I don't need the, the Disney version. I, I would like the real version of the sports history. It's a museum. It's not a church. It's a museum. So we can tell the whole story of the game.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week right off the top with a return engagement to talk about Hall of Fame voting, Hall of Fame. Well, we don't know the Hall of Fame results yet, but how we each went about our separate ballots. We both had to do ballots, right? Kevin Wheeler of KMOX fame and fortune.
0: Yeah, I, I would say I less had to but was invited to, but I was happy to because I enjoy doing that.
1: And did you do – you did yours for MLB Network Radio? Yes,
0: yeah. So even though I haven't worked out there for a while, I'm still on the staff, so they just send out – everybody gets an invitation, and they're like, please fill this out. We'd love to use all of them and all of that. So um, I do it myself anyway. Like, I do it every year. Usually I just tweet about it. Um, but, yeah, that, that was just a good way to get it on the record.
1: I uh... – I, I I get one from the Hall of Fame um as a as a member of the BBWAA who uh, you have to have ten consecutive years to qualify for a ballot, be in good standing. Um I have re- received a ballot. This is my ninth year. I couldn't believe it. Ninth year wow. voting for it. So that means I've been around a long time when you add up all the years. Uh but uh this was an interesting one. Uh you know, it, it the the obviously the the crowded nature of the ballot That greeted me and existed for the first eight years is alleviated some. It's loosened some with uh, Bonds and Clemens and Schilling coming off. They are no longer eligible for the ballot. They now move into the committee phase of the Hall of Fame voting, but they're no longer their names no longer appear on the writers ballot. Um, So that freed some things up. How did you do? Are you a big hall or a small hall guy? Are you? Uh for the i think
0: the small hall people would say that i'm a big hall um but i'm a context guy you know i think that we have to judge within your era and how you compare to your peers because the only way you can be fairly judged and i i think we have to include more of the all-around impact of a player and not just their counting stats and not just whether they hit home runs or hit for a high batting average which unfortunately has been the standard for too long so Defense doesn't matter as much as offense to me. Mm. But when somebody is one of the greatest defenders of all time, that has to matter. That has to matter more than it has. And the five-tool player has to matter more. You know, the person that's a good hitter, hits for power, plays – you know, Larry Walker would be the perfect mm. example. Like, yeah. that kind of guy matters. Those are winning players.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you hear a lot. Like, are, do you have a a well-rounded – Like kind of resume. Do you have a lopsided resume, lots of power, not much else, for example? Or you have a well lopsided resume. And it seems like there are multiple roads to Cooperstown. You can have a, you know, historically, you know, absurd, elite, lopsided resume that gets you there, or you can be well lopsided, right? Like just You have many columns where you're above your peers, none of them where you're among the greatest ever to do it, but four or five different columns where very few have accomplished that in many different ways. Right. 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 So those are different roads. Uh, Like as an example, as an example, I mean,
0: like Reggie Jackson was a no brainer. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody thought twice about it. And by the way, I agree with that. They shouldn't have thought twice about that. But if you're asking me whether I'd rather have Reggie Jackson or Larry Walker on my team, if I'm trying to win a World Series, I want Larry Walker. Really?
1: Interesting. Why is that? Yeah,
0: I want the better all-around player. You know, I want the guy that's going to get on base almost 40% of the time and win a gold glove in the outfield and be a factor on the base pads rather than a guy that's just going to hit a lot of home runs. And I know Reggie was more than that. I mean, I know Reggie drew walks and all of that, but Mm -hmm. Reggie also struck out. If I'm not mistaken, is he still the all-time leader in strikeouts or has somebody passed him yet?
1: <laughs> well, I you know, I think I think some single seasons right now are passing his I'm career. just talking about career and that's uh, oh you no, know I, I was mean, making a joke. Amongst all of famers
0: he struck out the most. Let's put it that way.
1: I was just trying to make a joke, Kevin, and you just oh, I'm absolutely sorry. trampled all over it's fine. I'm it's sorry. Fine. Radio guy. My bad. It's just I didn't I wasn't quick to deliver. I didn't I didn't nail the the opening that you gave me. I wasn't quick <laughs> enough. I, I've learned from this. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if cho- if having to choose between those two, especially like in a modern day, like save like today's game. I, I'm not sure. I think the 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 amount of power that Reggie Jackson had in his style of hitting actually might be what you want right there in the middle of the order. At this moment, I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting. Larry
0: Walker, Larry Walker, outslugged Reggie Jackson by seventy points.
1: Yeah, in his career. Yeah, yeah. But that's a lot. But there's also the like the OPS plus. I'd like to hear.
0: Yeah, you know what? I can tell you that in a second. The OPS plus for Reggie Jackson uh, is one thirty nine. For Larry Walker, it was one forty one.
1: All right, so pretty close there. Yeah, yeah.
0: A lot closer. And by the way, that's not the point, right? If they're close. Yeah. Then give me the all around player. Now, if they're not close, then I'm going to take the better
1: player. Well, like, I don't know. I mean, the guy that has better numbers. I mean, if they're close, maybe you take the guy who puts the ball over the fence more.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I, like, if I'm talking about trying to win a World Series mm-hmm. and using the modern day example, which guy's going to strike out more likely against the closer throwing 100, Reggie or, or Larry?
1: Which guy's going to put the ball over the wall more often? And that's well, a wrong against
0: Jacob DeGrom? Yeah. Against Max Scherzer. I'm I take my chances with Larry Walker, <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess. But I mean, maybe, maybe that's, I mean, you that's a make fair contact thing to hit the ball over the fence. Right. You do. But you also, you know, uh, it takes four singles to assure a run. It takes one swing with a home run to get a run. So, yeah, I mean, I, mean,
0: I, I, I I'm not sure that the power numbers are as stark a difference as we think they are. No, uh, I, home, I, r- I home run wise. I mean, like Reggie had, you know what, 180 more home runs, but he also played right. 900 more games. And he also, so,
1: and not one of those was at Coors Field. I don't want to be right, that guy. But that's what the OPS
0: but, Plus adjusts for. And a lot of those were at Yankee Stadium. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and Yankee yeah.
0: Stadium is by far the most friendly place for a left-handed pull-hitter to play in baseball.
1: If the current one is. That is not well, where Reggie Jackson played. The old one was the same dimensions. No, it, wa- no, it was. Down it the
0: right field line. They didn't have the short right field porch at
1: old Yankee Stadium. It, they did. It was a different. I mean, like, it, wow, we were going off track, but that's all right. Yeah. Um, it's different. I mean, I. I mean, you can go to those ballparks, but still hitter friendly. Feel it's, right? Still hitter friendly. Still hitter friendly. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to take away from that. Still hitter friendly. <laughs> still hitter friendly. But um, it's just an interesting conversation. Usually, um, oh, to get back to what I was, you almost jarred me completely from my train of thought. But no, this conductor stays online. The the question I asked about like big hall or small hall, the reason why I asked that is because I wonder, are you a big ballot or small ballot? Because you can be a small hall guy, small hall voter. Right. But be a big ballot voter too.
0: Yeah. So like, those hey, can obviously, coexist. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, my ballot, this will answer the question, I think in a somewhat a, a quickly, a quick, but indirect way this was the first time I've ever done the exercise of filling out the ballot that I didn't put 10 names on it. Mm. Like in my life, I can't remember ever not putting 10 names on it. Um, and especially in recent years, because it's super crowded. Uh, yeah. and it, you know, it's been super crowded and it's, it's a little less so now because of the guys you mentioned being off there. Uh, and because of a couple others that have gotten in the last few years. So yeah, this is the first time I had, I had less than 10, I had nine, but, I know we'll get and I know we'll get into it but really I think right now a lot of that comes down to whether or not you're voting for anybody that was connected to PEDs.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's some of that and and how you connect them, right? Like right, right. how what is your threshold for feeling confident about your knowledge of their use? Yeah. Right. Um, I usually reveal my ballot in a chat and at stltoday.com and then take questions from it. Um we'll see how convincing you are because I could reveal it here on the podcast first and then on the chat um you know uh january 23rd take questions on it which i i could do i don't know if you want me to do that or not I, you could i try mean to... i would like to be a part
0: of history Derek. <laughs>
1: the first reveal I, I don't know is it i think i've done it on the podcast before um i just wanted to make sure that i did it for uh for the post dispatch before i did it elsewhere and put it on twitter um so i uh um I mean, we can talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you it. You ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. So I voted for eight. I voted for eight um, on the uh, on the ballot this year, and I uh, I sent it in before the deadline. Um, and I and I it'll be public uh, soon after the vote. The vote is will be revealed January twenty fourth. That's Tuesday, January twenty fourth. Right now, according to Ryan Thibodeau's um, ballot tracker, who keeps track of all the public ballots, and will. I'm not sure if he'll listen this far into the podcast to get this one, but I will share it on Twitter so that he gets it. Uh, You know, the the Roland is running right around 80%. Mm -hmm. Then you have um, Wagner running right around, what is it, 72% and Helton in between those two. Those are the three that are kind of leading the way right now. So So that's a current situation. Here's my ballot in alphabetical order. I voted for. Bobby Abreu, Carlos Beltran, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. Hmm. A lot of those are are on mine. Seven of the eight I've voted for before, um, except for Beltran, who's new to the ballot. I'm sorry. So six of the eight I I've voted for before. So they've continued to get my vote. Carlos Beltrán is new to the ballot this year and new to getting my vote. Thus, Billy Wagner is not new to the ballot, but this is the first time I've voted for Billy Wagner.
0: Makes sense. I, I, I've heard questions been on counseled. the Billy Wagner side. You have been.
1: Yes. You have. Yes. Been. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we're recognizing closers, I, there haven't been many relievers that have been more dominant than he was during his career. I mean, he just hitters had no chance. I mean, you talk about. The things that matter for a guy at the back end. I mean, again, first of all, if we just want to go with a simple ERA plus of 187, mm-hmm. <laughs> and compare that to the Hall of Fame relievers that we've gotten to, there there may be one or two that are near there. And you know, I know people don't love saves, and I don't really care about that mu- that that number so much as I care about the difficulty in getting a hit against him, the difficulty in getting on base against him. And then the, 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 you know, that, that comparison and how he related to his peers when it comes to giving up runs.
1: Yeah. All fair. I, I voted for him. Uh, and for me, I was asked recently what was the hardest decision. And for me, um, you know, the ballot, the hardest part about a ballot, and this goes for whether we're voting on the Cardinals Hall of Fame or the Hall of Fame or any sort of honor, right? is you draw a line between two names and you say, this guy is above it and this person is below it. Right. And you have to be willing to essentially tell the person below it. Look, man, you're really close. <laughs> Look, pal, you're right up there, but yeah. you're the one who has to pay admission to Cooperstown. And this other guy gets or Im- immortality in Cooperstown. That's really hard um, to to get comfortable with that line. And for me on the ballot it 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 it's a little bit got a St. Louis flavor to it in the sense that like how to differentiate between the sheer amount of innings and quality that Mark Burley provided versus the elite short burst high leverage but not very many innings comparatively that Billy Wagner gave. And where does that line go? Yeah. It's a
0: tough one to figure because also we have to remember the player has no choice in how they're used, right? Yeah, like, exactly. I don't know many guys that that are drafted and signed with the idea that they want to be relievers, so they get moved into that role, and that's kind of my argument against because I think your your argument is right. I mean, there's a reason why pitcher starting pitchers get paid way more than than closers, right? Right. I mean, there's a reason why a fourth or fifth starter makes elite closer money. Because yeah. that volume is really valuable to a team in a season. But when we're evaluating for individual accomplishment, we have to, I mean, the job of closer, the job of, of shutdown reliever is critical. It is important and, we, important and we can learn that based on how teams have relied on those guys so much as we've gone forward in baseball. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize every job somehow, right? This is, this is kind of my argument about how too many for too many years we've ignored the contributions of catchers right well they don't have the big offensive numbers okay but that's not their job their right. primary job is the other side of the ball and we have to evaluate like to like so what is your job how do you compare to other people that did your job not how do you compare to a first baseman or a left fielder or in this case reliever to starter it's just because you know the the, the starter always wins that head to head comparison right
1: right yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just go by innings, and I think there is something to it, you know, like, like you said, you don't choose the position you play, you know, in a sense that like I've, I've seen votes for players who benefit from the team they're on, and yet you compare their careers and they only got to play as long as they did or accumulate the stats that they did or gather the awards that they did. Um, because the team was getting, say, defense from elsewhere or offense is a better example from elsewhere. Um, and so you go, okay, well, what you know, there are some second basemen who play second base because they happen to be in an organization with one of the best outfield or shortstops of all time, right? Right. right, That's right. I mean, you know, like uh, the Cardinals are going to have that at third base, right? You don't, you don't know what the no one is going to supplant. Nolan Arenado with third base they could have the right. best third base prospect going they actually do but he's not going to play third base right right so that's part of the organization Um, right. I do think that like in Wagner's case as I looked into this though is like I'm I do think that it was role fitting traits and I, I sure, think that's sure. true with some relievers where sure. look the they are either their max effort guys or the way their body responds isn't, you know, like not everybody's created equal. And you and I both seen players who like just don't respond well to relieving their bodies, don't respond well. right, right. And the same is true for starters. There are starters that or there are pitchers who that workload is just they cannot maintain their pitches into the sixth or seventh inning and you know, their body just undo not do that. They're better in like a burst and then they're available the next day too. And a burst and then they take a day off and then they're back in a burst. Right. You right. know, it's just the way their body's built. And I wonder if that is like, if Wagner is an example of that, I don't know how he would have been as a starter, but in seeing him and seeing how he pitched and seeing how he went about things. And you know, like there are some guys who just don't develop a third pitch. But they don't need to because they have two elite ones. Right. 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 So, I mean, I do exactly see where you're going. That, like, yeah. I mean, look, when
0: we want to use adjusted stats that adjust for ballpark and era and all that, the only reliever that ranks ahead of him is Mariano Rivera. The only one. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, like, for example, Goose Gossage is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was 26% better than league average. Billy Wagner is 87% better than league average, right? And nobody argues goose and they shouldn't, you know, I mean, compare him to Lee Smith who just got in, um, compare him to Raleigh fingers, compare him to Bruce Suter. Uh, you know, Bruce Suter was 36% better than league average. Um, and again, Wagner was 87% and he was the best strikeout guy of any of the guys I'm listing. Yeah. Yeah. So again, for the job that they're being asked to do when you're a closer, when you're that kind of shut down guy, maybe the most important skill is missing bats, right? Right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm not saying he's better than all those guys. I'm saying by the tangible measures, the only thing that doesn't work in his favor are the counting numbers because his career was shorter than a lot of those guys, which right. again matters. That matters. So that's why I wouldn't say that he's the second best closer of all time. I'm just saying that if we're deciding whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, when you look at right, he had 15, 16 years in the big leagues, a long time, mm-hmm. I don't think saves mean anything, but he had 400 saves. And, you know, when I, but but it tells you what, what he was thought of in his era, right? When you're a guy that gets a lot of saves, you're considered the guy in yeah. the bullpen. And by the way, of the Hall of Famers, not many of them have more than that, that number of saves.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Bulk saves is a new thing, right? You know, I mean, like, like you know,
0: Trevor Hoffman's a Hall of Famer. I'd rather face Trevor Hoffman all day, every day than face Billy Wagner.
1: Yeah, but is that the is that I mean, is that what you're saying? Like, you think that Billy Wagner is a better reliever than Trevor Hoffman? Yes. Do you think Trevor Hoffman's a Hall of Famer? Yes. So, okay, so ipso facto, Wagner's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, basically,
0: that's the logic, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, but do you think Hoffman's a top? five all-time reliever?
0: Uh, I mean, he's got to be in the conversation, I think. I mean, again, trying to use the some of the more adjusted numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, his ERA plus is is similar to Hoyt Wilhelm Helms. Yeah. It's not as good as Billy Wagner or, or Mariano Rivera, but it's in the same general vicinity as someone like Raleigh Fingers. Yeah. You know, Raleigh Fingers was actually only 20% better than league average. Right. Um. And and again, it's partly because the ERAs in that era were just generally lower. But that's still I mean, it means it's easier to have a lower ERA. Um, it also
1: has fewer innings to mess up like one bad inning skews that good point. quite a bit.
0: Yeah, good point. And usage matters there, too, because guys like Suter and, and fingers and those guys would very often pitch more than three outs where Hoffman yeah. was pretty much three outs. But, uh, but still, I mean, you know, based on what we have. His ERA plus is better than Bruce Suter's, and that, again, I don't doesn't mean I think he's better than Suter or Fingers. It just means that when you put it all together, he's Hall of
1: Famer. Right? Can I tell you, like one of the stats that comes up a lot with Billy Wagner is he has the, I believe it is the highest ERA plus of any reliever with more than 800 innings or something along those lines, right? Or second, right? He is the highest yeah. ERA plus and a lot of the great strikeout rates of any pitcher who's not that's what it is and that's the other part of it It was any pitcher who's not in the hall of fame um with 800 innings or more
0: right right because the only one on the list of relievers higher is Rivera
1: right so this year what I, I I've read that a lot and I've heard that argument a lot but what shifted for me this year was like you know what I'm gonna flip that on its head I'm gonna see where he ranks for relievers who have 500 to 800 innings and see how common it or 500 and 900 innings, Right, right, right. And see how common it is for smaller sample size pitchers to put up the numbers that he did. Where does he rank with in a smaller group where they can do max out, where they don't have the bulk innings? And so it's not like, well, of course, you know, of course he ranks high with those numbers because he's on the far end of the extreme end of the spectrum and far of innings pitched. If you say all pitchers, 800 innings or more, right. You, you, you're you saying that like, he's right there at the lower cusp of it. So yeah, he's at 900 innings. Yeah. Right. So naturally some of those numbers might be higher than somebody who threw four times, five times as many innings. Right. So I flipped it and did a search by like, okay, where, how does he compare to his innings pitched peers, for lack of a better example. And you know what? He's near the top, right? Yeah. yeah. And and you close that window of, you know, just high leverage, limited use, one inning lockdown, late game relievers. Not just accumulating saves, but also like performing in those moments. And you can rank them by win probability added, Wagner shows up you can rank them by like you said missing bats strikeout rate or strikeout to walk or whatever you want to go with or strikeouts compared to base runners which is a cool stat cool thing to look at every so often um you know the uh the the notion that like you you have you you just that notion that you brought up of presenting bats right um or i'm sorry of missing bats he ranks high ERA plus ranks high, ERA ranks high, all that stuff. Um, And he's up there with Kenley Jansen, uh, Mm Katie Krimble, Aroldis Chapman. And so you have to go, all right, are they Hall of Famers? Or if they're not, then is Wagner that far above them so that he's not setting in a precedent that they are Hall of Famers? And what I noticed was he actually has a lot more innings than them. Yeah. and even if yep. they pitch Kenley Jansen, maybe on the track to be a Hall of Famer, I could see that. Sure, um, but if sure. he closes I mean... the gap in innings, it's a pretty good bet that he's not going to do it at his peak year, and so he'll lighten a little bit as far as right. you know right. some of those missing bats numbers, ERA plus numbers, all those things. Yep. And I so that it. that was the place where I went to stop comparing Wagner against all the pitchers in the hall are not in the hall, but instead compare Wagner to the contemporary reliever and where does he stand? Yeah.
0: And I, and again, I just think it's part of the sport. You have to recognize all jobs. We can't just act like, and I don't mean like bench jobs, but I mean, if, if it's a priority position, a starter in the lineup a starting rotation member or the shutdown reliever, I mean, they're, they're valuable pieces that get paid a lot of money and, we can't just say, well, you're not a Hall of Famer because your team decided this was your role.
1: Right. Right. So last year, I voted for all 10 and Wagner would have been 11th on it. So just okay. so okay. Um, it was not like, hey, I mean, I just want to show that there's an element of consistency here. That yeah. last year, you know, my ballot was 10 deep, um, because it had, you know, well, it had Bonds and Clemens and that group on it. So, yep. um, So I got to a point where um, now, you know, there. I think there was a time a few years ago where I had an opening and I could have voted Wagner, but I struggled with it just because there wasn't the innings and how to think about it. Um, But I, I do think every time I mail in the ballot, I start thinking about the next one and how to remain consistent. And so those are my eight guys that I voted for. Um, You said you did nine. Yep. What were they? So we can talk about the differences.
0: Um, so I did not have Bobby Abreu or Jeff Kent. Okay. Um, but otherwise, we you had a lot have, of similarities because I had have Manny Beltran.
1: Ramirez
0: and Alex. Right. Abreu. I had. I got the steroid guys. I mean, I've got Ramirez, A. Rod, and Gary Sheffield.
1: Um, I got Gary and, Sheffield too.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, oh, and you know what? I think my ninth might be Andy Pettit. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, he's a fascinating one to me um you know he's he's not the the dominant starting pitcher that you think of right he's not the big strikeout guy or yeah. whatever but when you when you put him into like when you're looking at like body of work and who he compares to and where he fits like on the just on the large scale mm-hmm. he's not that different than mike mike messina and they are pretty close to peers right well yeah I mean, I mean, so th- there's not a lot of difference there as far as the, the, uh, all the things we would talk about. Like if you look at the, uh, and I know this isn't perfect. It's always kind of just my guideline to get me started. Mm-hmm. Uh, But the player similarity scores on baseball reference mm-hmm. are kind of like, okay, this gets me a starting point. Should I look more into it? And the two closest comps to Pettit were Sabathia and Mussina. Um, and down the list a little bit was Jack Morris. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I'm not, Totally sold on it. But I think that when I compare him to others, you know, when you look at where he ranks in terms of starting pitchers um, that are in, I mean, I, I don't think he's better than, say, Roy Halliday. I don't think he's that he was, I don't think he was at that level. He's below that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are Hall of Famers who had lesser careers than him. I mean, I don't think there's much question about that.
1: Yeah, that's a hard line to draw because then you're saying that I am going to adhere to the voting standards of previous eras. No, it's true. It's and true. But
0: let let me put it this way. I think he's a better pitcher than Jim Cott ever was.
1: Okay. Um, and Jim, Jim Cott
0: play, just played a really long time and was fine. He won a lot of good. gold
1: gloves, was a defensive yep. player, also spent a lot yep, of time in the bronze. he was only 8% above move. average. Right. You no, know, he I was
0: know. only 8% above average and Kenny Rogers was 7% above average. So, you know... <laughs>
1: And, I mean and I Kenny Andy, or,
0: yeah I look at Andy Pettit and it's not dominant in that area era and that in that era as far as the you know the ERA plus which is again just a guideline it's not yeah. um the primary thing but he's 17% better than the league average and I compare that to some of the other guys that are in and it's not far off I mean that's he's bets better than Don Sutton you know it's, and again I think that that's a comparable pitcher in terms of the kind of pitcher they were
1: is John Lester a Hall of Famer if Andy Pettit is a Hall of Famer? It's off call, but it's close. If John Lester's a Hall of Famer, is Adam Wainwright a mm-hmm. Hall of Famer? Again, it's
0: close, but I think each time we move down the ladder um, a little bit in terms of just relative performance, right? And, you know, look, Wainwright would be if he didn't miss all that time.
1: Yeah, but if he did, missed all that time, he might not be pitching like he is now. Oh, it could be. I mean, yeah, that could be true. It's a hard – Um, that's a hard it, not it, to – I mean, and you, it would take somebody call. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to undo that multiverse, buddy.
0: Yeah. And if anybody tells me they don't think that Pettit's a Hall of Famer, it's fine. Like, it, I don't disagree necessarily. I understand the opposition to it. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I'm like, I'm going to die on this hill. I just I mean, when I when I look at comparable players from his era, they're in. Yeah. And
1: Sabathia is on his way. Yeah. That and sure Sabathia is going to be
0: in, too. And, yeah. and I don't think there'll be much doubt about that.
1: Yeah. What, so that that's kind of the basis of that. So then the, the, the two that you, that I had that you did not, well, let's, how do you approach since we, since I didn't have them and you did have them, how do you approach Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez? Do you vote for them on time served with their suspensions?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Is that, I I mean, I make this over, it's overly simplistic, but it's the only logic that works in my brain, Derek. I know that there are players that took steroids that are in the hall of fame. Sure. I know it. Sure. I, I I would never name some of them because I don't have um, documentation to back it up, Mm -hmm. but I have no reason to doubt the people that have told me these things. Um, And, and by the way, some of them have been whispered about and all of that too, but it's irrational to think that there's nobody in the hall of fame that used steroids for a for a significant part of their career not just for you know half a year to recover from an injury or whatever but like it, sure. it's irrational to think that and yes. based on that if they're in these guys are better than them okay I mean I know it I know people will and, and by the way I don't argue with anyone who says Manny Ramirez failed tests and got suspended that's the line okay that's a, that's a fair logical line I would never dispute that same thing for Arod No problem with that. But for me, I can't penalize them while knowing that others that did the same thing are in there.
1: So it does not does it bother you, if that's the right word, that they were tested? They knew clearly what was against the rules as opposed to the nebulous memo about and no testing. And they still use, they were caught. Um, yeah. And you, you, I'm, I know what you're saying that you're like, hey, man, we, there are users in the hall, of a high probability of that. And I think we can all agree on that, that there's a high probability of it. But what there's not is a player suspended for use. Right. Right. Does that, is that significant to you or is that just, a, I mean, to walk across that bridge, was it difficult?
0: Uh I mean it took it took a little while thinking it through yeah I mean it what you know I don't I don't struggle with it now like I beat myself up over it but it is a murky area and it's not an easy line to cross um because some of the guys that got away with it Derek got away with it simply because there wasn't testing
1: and that's that's a good place to kind of segue from the suspensions that resulted from positive PED tests to the n- another question that faced us for the first time on this ballot, which is the sign stealing and Carlos Beltran. How did you factor that in, if you did at all, when you considered him as a Hall of Famer?
0: I didn't, and he's he's on he would be on my ballot, my fictional ballot um, or pretend. I don't know how you fictional is not right. <laughs> my fun ballot. <laughs>
1: um,
0: he, he's he's on mine, um, and it's kind of the same. I know this is a weird stretch, but it's kind of the. Same same logic that I have applied when I when talking about Pete Rose in the past. Okay. And that is that, that happened during his during a career at the end when he was on the staff and this was not like, it wasn't the bulk of his career and it's not the same thing, right? Pete's things happened as a manager and that's where I've made that separation. But I don't think that was something that was going on for the bulk of his career. So I don't think I want to consider that when I'm looking at the bulk of the career. And if Mm -hmm. I wanted to discount him at the very tail end, um, I I could do that and still make the case that he's a hall of famer. I mean, he's only there for
1: one year. Well, so do you carve up, and this is related, I promise. Did you carve, do you carve up Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and say, well, you know, this part of their career, they were already hall of famers. And then the reports surfaced and the denials began for kind of a second act of their career? Is that how you carve it up?
0: I, I mean, I don't do that. Like, that's not the deciding factor. But, yeah, I mean, I believe that. I do believe you? That, that both. Yeah, I believe that both of them were Hall of Famers before they ever uh, got involved with PEDs. Uh, that, that's not the driving force. I mean, like we talked about before, the, the driving force for me with guys like that this year, it's, you know, Manny Ramirez, A-Rod, those guys, um, because, the, you know, the other two are off the ballot now. But it's more about being just to me being consistent and and understanding there are players in that cheated and I'm not going to hold other guys accountable um, for an entire era. Right. I'm not going to make five guys carry the weight of an entire era. Um, But yeah. But yes, I do. I do think about that a a little bit. And if someone's borderline, like if a player were borderline and used PEDs, that would probably be enough for me to knock them off.
1: But these Whoa. guys we're talking about weren't borderline. What do you mean by that? Like a uh, player who like, – is there an example that leaps to mind of that? Like a player who was just okay or was slightly above average all-star and then had one berserk elite season or stretch?
0: No, I mean more someone who whose Hall of Fame credentials are right on the borderline, like right on the edge. Gotcha. And we had some knowledge that they had been using PDs for a period of time, right? Like one year is not going to change much of anybody's right. opinion, right? Um, maybe not even two or three, but like looking at Arod, for example, looking at at Manny, for example, if their numbers were like, if they were Edgar Martinez's numbers, if they were Al Oliver's numbers, if they were uh, Dave Parker's numbers, well, then it would be an obvious no, right? Mm. Because if you're borderline with those things, you're not you're not in. Because we know that they do help. I mean, Do we don't ex- know exactly how much. We know that they help. But these guys are so far beyond borderline that I that part of it doesn't come in.
1: Does Sosa where where does Sosa fit for you then? Is Sammy Sosa kind of the one of those examples?
0: I think so. I, I think okay. Sammy would be a guy that um, you know, he's if you look at his career, he is so far beyond what any what any uh whatever whatever any line would be. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, I I think his total numbers because early in his career, um, he wasn't great. Um, uh, I think total numbers are probably like if you look at him compared to the league, he wasn't as dominant as Manny Ramirez or A Rod or whatever. But I mean, six hundred home runs would get you in without a doubt, right?
1: Right. I mean, right.
0: There's there's never been an era where that wouldn't get you in. Um, and if it was if it was four fifty, well then mm, you know no. And I would, and I think that, and it doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that I, I judge anybody else for applying a, a stricter standard there. It's just, I'm trying to thread the needle here because the sport allowed all of this for so long. Uh, right. At the very least, tolerated it. Probably didn't approve, but certainly didn't mind what was happening in the game and the attention that the home runs brought and all of that. And again, I know maybe I'm, I'm showing a bias in this a little bit, but if we're going to put the commissioner in who oversaw all of that and basically never made it an issue until congress hauled his butt in front of them i'm sorry if he can be in then all these other guys can be in too
1: that i mean i i i think that's an interesting that actually gets at something that i want to talk about sort of as a conclusion is this notion of what has the hall set forth as what it wants as far as its right. inductions and maybe the ceiling part of that is, is a hint at the, what the standards they're keeping when you let, let's reset, though, by like saying our ballot. So, OK, my ballot uh, eight. We have spot for 10. Uh, and I voted for in before the deadline for the announcement that is coming on Tuesday, January 24th. These were my eight votes um, out of a possible 10. Bobby Abreu, Carlos Beltran, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. And you had nine on your ballot, and they were. Right. So
0: I had two, two of yours were not on That would be Kent and Abreu. And then I had the the PD guys. I had Ramirez, Rodriguez, and Pettit.
1: Okay. So, yes. Yeah, Other so than try... that, we're the same. Other than that, we're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew Jones, uh, you know, a lot of these we don't need to kick around all that much. Do you think that uh, uh, Todd Helton um, is rising towards induction um, and the voting, the overall voting bodies getting over the Coors Field thing?
0: I hope so. And again, the the, the better we are at judging with with adjusted stats, right? When you look at weighted runs created or we can look at OPS Plus, we can figure out how much the ballpark played into how much better than they were than the league average player, right? I mean, <clears throat> I'm not saying that any of these numbers are be-all, end-all, mm-hmm. but when we're having these debates, that it's important to understand that, right? So even accounting for the ballpark, if Todd Helton's 33% better than the average player of his time or the b- average hitter of his time, and then you compare him to guys that are in the Hall of Fame, and let's not forget, Todd Helton was a pretty good defensive player too, not just a one-dimensional player. Uh, when yeah. you compare him in that regard to other players, and you use some of the more advanced ways of measuring a player, Todd Helton and and Willie McCovey are pretty close, except for home runs.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I
0: mean, like their total production numbers are similar. Um, you know, Helton is ahead of a bunch of guys in the Hall of Fame in a lot of these regards, whether it's WAR or JAWS or whatever. So, I, I think with the Paul Park adjusted stats we can have a better idea of what that all means. And then we can put it into context. I mean, you know, ballpark adjusted numbers, Todd Helton's career was better than Eddie Murray's. And I know yep. that, again, I, I wouldn't say that it is better. I'm just saying that by that metric, it is. I understand. So then we can say that, the right, so that we can say that course Field is not the determining factor in whether
1: or not he should be in this conversation. Do you think, wh- what has helped frame, I mean, obviously statistical you know, our num- our understanding of statistics and OPS plus and ballpark factors and all these things and the ongoing discussion about, hey, yeah, they get to hit at Coors Field, but they also have to then travel um and return to right. Coors Field, which can be aware on the body or they see, you know, pitch like characteristics 81 times a year that are different than the other 81 right. times that they see all that right. stuff is factored in. But I'm going to offer up two other parts to this. Do you think that Larry Walker's induction helps future Rockies. And you think Nolan Arenado's performance as a Cardinal helps future Rockies. Yeah, I think so.
0: I think that, you know, certainly with Walker, um, people, because it shows that, and and I think, Derek, this is just a natural progression, right? I mean, as the voting block gets younger and more into advanced measurements, like we're talking about, like weighted runs created and OPS plus things that can neutralize for your era, your ballpark and all of that. That's going to be the more common way of looking at things as we go forward. Um, Right. We're not going backward. Nobody's ever going to go back to, um, you know, like the counting stat milestones. Although I think the big ones will still play, right? Like 3000 hits will probably play forever. That's a big deal. I mean, no matter how you do it, if you put together 3000 hits, you've had a hell of a career. Um, so I I think maybe there's a little of that, but the the understanding is only going to grow the further along we move. So yes, for sure on that. And yeah, for sure on, on and he shouldn't be the only argument for that. I mean, Matt holiday started was one of the guys that showed that, um, you know, and, and there've been a few others, but those are the prominent ones that were big stars at cores and people have the worries. But as you pointed out, we understand this so much better now. It's not just the inflation of your numbers at home which sure that was a big part of it I mean, it is a big part of it you got a big ballpark the ball carries obviously at altitude but as you point out then you go on the road and pitches are different than what right. you're seeing at home and then it takes I mean, I've mean, i heard the guys that, that have played there describe it takes several days to kind of get acclimated to seeing breaking balls break better
1: right. you know to, to, to yeah, see, yeah
0: yeah <laughs> and that right there is just an added extra adjustment and You know, so again, and then you're right. There's a physical element to it too. You know, that's another part of it. So, so I I do think that um, both of those cases make it better for for guys like Todd Helton and others in the future.
1: For me Carlos Beltran stood out as one of the better one of the best uh switch hitters, maybe arguably the best switch hitter of his era brought a lot um obviously you know oh, Ber- yeah. Berkman's in that thing but brought a lot to the field um classic kind of five tool player one of the most dominant October performances there with Houston against the Cardinals and just that whole stretch um you know it, it was uh back there it was 04 um Beltran versus the the I say Beltran versus the Cardinals because it felt that way. Um, but the late Brian Burwell and I, we would sit in the press box and watch Carlos Beltran do something amazing and then watch Albert Pujols do something amazing. Right. And it was like that whole anything you can do, I can do better. And we just kept, <laughs> we kept referring, you know, we kept riffing off of it as if it was the uh, either that commercial or the uh, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, uh, you know, game where they go, okay, off the scoreboard around downtown, up on the people mover, nothing but net. And it it was just that kind of series. It was remarkable. Um, As far as his link to Houston and what they did in 2017, um, it stood out to me that he was really the only player, like you said, I think you put it well that, are you going to ask a whole group of players to carry the weight um, to carry the sins, if you will, of a whole, you know, generation, a whole stretch of games you can ask one, five players to do that. It did stand out to me that Beltran was the one player mentioned, right? Like he was yeah. the one who was retired. He was the one who was about to become a manager. So he was the one that did not have the union protecting him. And right. that, that did stand out to me. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't make make it that doesn't mean you ignore it, but right. I think you do have to take that into context. What uh what does Jeff Kent have to do um to get your vote because uh because it's too late. He's off the ballot after this year.
0: Which is a bummer because he was a really good player, um, and I struggle with him. And I actually I struggled with Abreu too. Both of those guys um, that you put on there that I didn't, I I came close. I mean, they're not um, they're not players that I want to easily dismiss. I guess mm-hmm. is probably the best way to put it because they they're fantastic individually. When you look at how they rank and measure up with other guys, and and again, I start with how they measure up against people at their own position. But then I kind of work out from there. Um, and the guy that seems to be the closest career comp to Jeff Kent seems to be Ian Kinsler. And I don't think Ian Kinsler is a hall of famer. And, you know, so like Kent's numbers for second base are kind of stunning, right? Like almost 400 home runs, 1500 runs batted in like second basemen don't typically do that. But of course, the modern era is different when it comes to where guys are assigned to play. Um, and 23% above average offensively for his career is really, really good. Mm-hmm. The closest comp to him is Robinson Cano offensively. Yeah. And I think we would agree that often, if outside of the PED stuff, Cano probably a Hall of Famer, right?
1: Boy, Cano was one of those guys on track for 3,000 hits that you mentioned earlier. Like sneaky, right? right? Like wasn't right. he Wasn't he one of those? He and Nick Marcakis were like the ones that like, oh, if they extend their career, that could be a magic number for them.
0: Right. But when it comes to, again, I don't want to rely too much on just the advanced numbers. They were part of a tiebreaker. But some of it, too, was he didn't he was not a good defensive player. So he was a really good hitter. And as a hitter, again, was was better than a guy like Ian Kinsler or Dustin Pedroia. Mm -hmm. But in terms of total contributions, those guys were good defenders. He was not. And that kind of equals it out. So this is kind of based on my bias, Derek, towards well-rounded players as opposed to one-dimensional players. And mm. I'm fine with one-dimensional players, if and I mean like bat-only kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that Kent was bad defensively, but he was basically league average his entire career, where all of these other guys that I'm listing, um, when you look at their defensive numbers, like defensive war, things like that, they were pluses, and they were pluses by quite a bit. Um, the, the, the only negative war in the hall of fame at second base, I believe is Rod Carew. And he spent a huge part of his career at first base, uh, maybe Biggio too, but Biggio's offense was well beyond Jeff Kent. Um, and also again, played multiple positions. So it's kind of hard to judge that. So, you know, it's not, I, that's why I struggle with it because I think Kent's right on that edge. I think he's right there. He like, if, if, if he got voted in, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be upset about it. I'd be like, good for him. He had a really good career, and and he deserves it. But for me, it was all bat. And if you're all bat, you need to be Edgar Martinez. You need. You, know, David don't Ortiz. you? you need to be Paul Molitor, don't you?
1: Yeah, Paul Molitor, who's listed as one of the 17 third basemen in the. <laughs> hall of fame yeah i know Maybe that's you, a whole other topic get,
0: can we get past that and just like create the dh category for the hall of fame already
1: i think it is like, right i think that i think it is now or at least it's close to it but he just okay. hasn't been moved to it yeah, yeah but to me if you're bat only you've got to be super elite in the 2000s twice as many dhs have been inducted into the hall of fame well there you third, go as third baseman um i put this in the in the paper um, and a story about third third base and how Scott Rowland could kind of help lead to the advent of finally yeah. appreciating that position. Yeah. Um, since 1989, there have been five full-time third basemen inducted into the hall of fame in that same huh. span. There's been five umpires inducted into the I, hall of fame. That's a joke, man. <laughs> how about that? It's, I, I, and, and, you know, and again, wait. it comes back to
0: this fixation yeah, on the bat. Like if you're not Mike Schmidt or yeah. Eddie Matthews or Wade Boggs, then you're not a Hall of Famer, which is just nuts because that's a premium defensive position. It is a premium so defensive when you position. Ha- I mean, and, and the funny thing is, we recognize that with Brooks Robinson. As a yeah. hitter, Brooks Robinson's is not even close to the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. No, you're, you're right. Because like barely he won every yeah. gold
0: glove he could have won, and yeah. he was a pretty good hitter, he's in.
1: Yeah. Well, the uh, the interesting thing, so here's here's a little trivia for you. How many Hall of Fame third basemen have debuted in the majors in the last 40 years. 40 years. Last four decades. The ones that are
0: already in the Hall
1: of Fame. In third base, if ever like primary third base. So Wade
0: Boggs would be one, right? Nope. Chipper Jones is. Chipper Jones is. Um, well, I mean, they count Edgar, but I don't, but he would be no, one. No, he those doesn't guys. count.
1: He doesn't count really? as a third baseman. No.
0: Oh, okay. Well, he's listed in the in the thing. Well, then if it's that, it's no, he's not
1: there. on the Hall of Fame, has 17 third basemen. I like got the list. Oh, okay, for him, okay. And then he's not. Well, then won.
0: that's it. That's it. There's one.
1: Yeah. There's one. There's one. Yeah. yeah. Because 40 years ago, this past year, is when Bond or was when Wade Boggs debuted.
0: Oh, okay. So it was 40 years ago. All so right.
1: 40, yeah. And the last 40 years, only one. Wow. Hall, isn't that nut? Now, the upside is that um, you might have that number. Well, you might get five or four in the next 15. Years. Oh yeah. You're gonna get you're gonna I
0: think you're gonna get two here in the next two or three years. I mean we have
1: Roland and Beltre. Yeah, they're, they're de- I they're mean done.
0: Beltre's definitely getting in and Roland should get in this year if people right. have their
1: heads out of their asses. And then you'll you might have, because of the attention they get, you could get Ken Boyer in.
0: Yeah. Uh, I hope
1: the committees put him in. I mean, he should have been in a long time ago. Agreed. And then you could have um on the outside of that fifteen years, you'd have Machado and Arnauto, and that would be five, right. which would I mean, which would basically match yep. the induction of the previous whatever thirty years for yep. thirty. And those guys years. are
0: both well on track for that.
1: They are. They are. They both surpassed fifty WAR this past year. Yeah, um, they're both young. You know, you have um, uh, Ramirez on the on the rise too, who got past forty WAR this year. Yep, for third yep. base. I don't know if he'll stay at third base. Which brings me back to Jeff Kent, right? About yep. staying at that position. You mentioned that you just aren't like a one dimensional kind of voter. Well, how do you reconcile how you've approached Billy Wagner then Mm -hmm. with that standard for Jeff Kent? Because, you know, maybe like isn't the situation that Kent was at, you know, a great hitter, a lot of time in the National League, had to play a position. Um, You know, if he had been with an American League team, he'd be a DH. And would his numbers stand out? I, I don't know. That's a that's a fair question. Yeah,
0: I think that that's kind of so. If I'm gonna if I'm using the trying to use my logic here uh, and using the Wagner and Kent, Kent examples, pretty much every year of his career, Wagner was amongst the two or three best to do the job that he did. Right. Right. I mean, there may have been an exception or two here and there, but it was basically him and and Rivera and Hoffman most of those years with uh, with outliers creeping in. But I, mean, I, I can't find many bad years in Billy Wagner's career, right? He was right there at the very top almost every year of his career.
1: I mean, to be honest, um, his bad years, they're not bad years. They're called October.
0: Right. <laughs> right, right. Like exactly. he did not have um, with good Kent, playoffs.
1: Like just to put it. With
0: daunting. Kent, I'm sorry. No, yes, Wagner just I did agree. not have good, um good playoffs. Right, exactly um and also didn't have as many opportunities as some other guys right
1: fair yeah fair
0: i don't remember how many opportunities he had to be honest with you it's all right like I mean, off the it, top of my head i don't know if it was
1: it, it wasn't as many as mariano rivera but it was more than you know most closers get
0: okay so it was, it was significant then well, that's true because houston was in the playoffs all those years and Philly, um, and
1: right yeah good point i'm sorry um, I'm... I'm sorry, Mets. He went with the Mets. I I got my my years wrong. He was there for the Mets and he was not used, you'll recall, famously in that same game that, you know, we'll talk a lot about with the Cardinals. Right. So um, and they and um, five of the runs, five of the 13 runs he's given up in the postseason, to be fair, came in that one in the one game against the Cardinals. So, right. You know, I'm sorry. This the right. uh, the one uh game in the one seas- a series, sorry, against mm-hmm. the Cardinals, not the one game, yeah, but, uh, the NLC. And I context understand.
0: matters in that too, right? Because yeah. for relievers, one or two bad games
1: can blow up
0: a whole half a season.
1: Right, right. He did, however, give up strats. twenty-one hits versus thirteen strikeouts in the in the postseason. Woo.
0: Yeah. Not good. <laughs> no. <laughs> not good. No. Um uh, sorry, and the uh the Kent side of that, mm-hmm. so Kent, again, being a guy that was about 22, 23 percent above league average, very rarely was one of the very best hitters in the game. But he was for like what, a four year window where he was kind of like right there with everybody else. I know he won the MVP. Mm-hmm. So there was at least one year where he was as as good as as great as anyone else. But really, for half his career, he was roughly a league average player. Right. Like from 1992 to 96, 97, somewhere in there, he was good, but he wasn't like he wasn't like a big time performer. And then he had a really great stretch for about 5 years and then back to being good. He wasn't he didn't go back to where he had been before, but he went back to just being pretty good. When I look at the offense in the era that he played in, there weren't many years where you would say Jeff Kent was one of the very best hitters in the sport and if you're going to get in on your bat I feel like that should be a thing, right?
1: Well, I mean, he was always the best hitter at his position, and I don't know if that matters for something. I mean, it does. Brooks Robinson, and he was clearly the best defensive player at his position, but was he the best defensive player? Maybe, probably, but he also played beside a really good shortstop, and he was not the shortstop on that team. Um, I, you know, we could argue that for a long time, but regardless, he's the best defensive player at his position. So is the best offensive player at a position yep. worth honoring?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why, I mean, to me, he's, you know, if we're going 50, 50, um, on my scale, it went, it went down on his side from 50-50 50, 50 5 to 50.5 to 49.5. Like it, yeah. he was on the edge. So if, if I were going to, you know, if, if, uh, you like with you having, him on there or if he gets in like that's great i have no issue with that i just tried to find tiebreakers and trying to figure out all right how and and how i value players is not always how other people value them so i, I get mm. it it's a subjective thing but i care as much about the all-around game as i do your offensive numbers
1: yeah and
0: yeah. now offense matters more right well, offense always carries more weight because it's the most difficult thing to do so the offense always carries more weight than defense but again when i'm looking at overall impact Mm -hmm. with things like wins above replacement and and you know the jaws score that that jay jaffe has come up with i mean he is right in the same category as kinsler and Pedroya and those guys i mean they're literally next to next to each other on the list yeah and that that's what swayed me on the no as opposed to a yes was just that
1: so i you had a spot open on your ballot and this is a good place for us to take the conversation to conclusion is you had a spot on your ballot. So you could have used that 10th spot for Kent. Um, yeah. I could have used you know, it for a You too. Yeah. And for a you, and it wouldn't have cost you anything. It would have just added to their totals. If like, if you're right. submitting a ballot, I had two open spots on my ballot. I could have done that. And, that that's me that, i'm looking
0: at yours though unless you're taking the steroid guys i'm not sure who else you'd put on there
1: no no that's fair you know and that was the big that yeah. that's why the suspension stand out because uh, you know if i had two spots open and we're talking five years ago then i put bonds and um i put bonds right, and right clemens on because i don't need to trim the ballot down um you know i don't right. need to use the tools at my disposal one of which is the sportsmanship clause to Pair it down. No, I have to actually say, look, these guys we know were suspended. This suspension is on their baseball card, right? They they missed time, right? Right. Rules were there, and they violated them. They broke them, and they you know they served their penalty. And I find the discussion about whether or not they you know they they served their suspensions and that's how this works. And now you move on. I find that compelling. Um, I I have to give more thought to it, but I do appreciate that people have said that like, look, that was their penalty being held out of the Hall of Fame, yeah. is not their penalty, the suspensions were and I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And I probably over time will give that, you know, a lot of thought. my my I added Jeff Kent to my ballot later, you know, than I probably should have, um, but it was over sure. long conversations and, you know, talking with people who were both pro and con. Um, who helped shape that. But that brings me to what we mentioned about c and what I think is a really interesting conversation, which is what does the hall tell us it wants? Um, because the guidelines are not specific. Um, the question that they asked, is this person a hall of famer? Is again, not the question that they're really asking because they're asking us to say, are these the 10 most worthy? members of this ballot for the hall of fame. So it's not a straight answer. It, it's a weighted answer. So what is the hall telling us? Well, you know, the hall is telling us the league is in, right? They it, that was a choice that yep. the riders did not vote on. The and hall, without
0: much debate either, right? I mean, right. how long did Sealag have to wait once he retired? Right. Like the he was in the first year, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was in, yeah.
1: Yeah. Same with Tony Larusa, and Bobby Cox and Joe Torrey. You know, they yep. went quickly in. Yep. Fred McGriff was a unanimous pick by the Veterans Committee, which includes yep. players. So, what is the Hall telling us? You know, and I I voted for Fred McGriff when I had a chance um, on yep. the ballot. So I, that's that's cool. I'm I'm I think that's a uh, overdue honor for him, but it was also unanimous. And so, what is that telling? You? And you know, Joe Posnanski wrote about this in in his blog about this idea that like maybe you don't, maybe you maybe you start voting. For, you know, what the hall tells you it wants, which is a member of the class, which is someone to celebrate every summer, which is someone to drive ticket. And I'm not quite there, but I am at a point where it's the question I asked you earlier, but I think you can be a small hall believer and a big ballot voter. Sure. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. I,
0: honestly, I don't know what the hall wants because they send conflicting messages. Mm. I'm, I'm not, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of the, of the leadership that's been there for the last 10, 15 years, at least the way that they've done it. I mean, they might be great people. I'm just talking about the the way that they've handled all of these various issues. Um, it shouldn't be difficult to give more specific guidelines on a difficult topic. That should be automatic. That shouldn't mm. be like, well, Nope, we're just going to leave it out there in the wind. I mean, it's your hall and just get together with Major League Baseball, because obviously it's the hall recognizing the achievements that happen in Major League Baseball and come up with something simple. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be precise. It doesn't have to be accurate, but I I don't know what they want. I mean, it seems to me, Derek, that, you know, for the Hall of Fame and and some of this would be on, on a generation of voters that are doing things that we've talked about before that we don't necessarily agree with. Some of it is the hall leadership, not taking a stand. Some of it is caving into power. Um, in the case of like Bud Sealing, I, I don't know what they want. I mean, when you're putting in the guy that was in charge of how many work stoppages, is it yeah. three? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For
0: Bud Sealing, Not to I mention know. the fact
1: that involved in, I don't know in charge is there, but involved in yes. Okay. That's true. Cause he wasn't
0: commissioner he wasn't right generous. out of the game.
1: Right, correct.
0: Um, but for he was commissioner for at least a couple and was Mm -hmm. one of the hawks in the early battles, right?
1: He okay, so he was the commissioner for one, which cost a world series. That okay. And then how does that
0: not ding the commissioner? When you're in charge when you lose a world series for the first time outside of a war. Yeah, I don't know, man. So again, this is kind of my point, right? Like this is this is where they need to be more clear. If we're going to hold individual players accountable for the, the for the things that they've done, which I'm fine with, mm-hmm. then we need to hold the top and end of the power spectrum to the same standard. And while it wasn't entirely Bud Seelig's fault or choice that any of those things happen, you're the man in charge. And again, they never took a serious stand on PEDs until they were called and, called in front of Congress. Yeah, it was the first time because they always prioritized finances over PEDs when it came to negotiations with the players. It was all about getting the money right first and foremost. And again, fine, understand it, but you should have to wear that at least a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, it should be at least it should be at least a waiting period where we're not like, well, you get to you know <laughs> go, go go you know go you just go right through and don't have to deal with any debate or any conversation about whether or not this is the right thing to do and i get it you know the age factor comes in and all of that but it's also Mm -hmm. uh, you know the point that we're we're just we're we're making exceptions for power yes and and i don't mean home runs
1: (laughs) (laughs) no apparently not apparently those exceptions aren't me yeah yeah
0: right right and in that dynamic i just i i want consistency And I know it's almost impossible to do with a subjective thing and subjective choices don't have to be consistent in and of themselves, but the people setting the guidelines should be more consistent in, like you said, outlining what they want. And if people who are asked to vote don't know exactly what the Hall of Fame is looking for because the Hall of Fame just chooses to remain silent on everything, Uh well, that's not helpful. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it well, it, it's it's in a way, right? Like it's it's fascinating because writers, a vast majority, are very transparent about their votes, unlike any other Hall of Fame going to be candid. And yet yeah, you're right, the guidelines are they're not spoken, so there's not a lot of clarity there. Um, but do you so here here here's do you like the hall? You're a baseball do fan. I, do I like the, like the, the hall, hall of
0: fame itself? Like the yeah. concept?
1: Yeah. Do you well, like
0: it? Oh, well, I love the concept. you dig it? Of telling the history of the game and recognizing the biggest contributors to the history yeah, of the game. I, but I mean,
1: it. I get, yeah, but not just in theory, but do you like Cooperstown? Do you like how it's done so far? How it's done so far? Do you like, I mean, do you go there and go, oh, this could be so much better? Or do you go there and go, man, this is awesome.
0: God, um, as a fan. I think it's awesome. Now, I, honestly, I got to tell you, I've never been to Cooperstown, which is shocking to most people.
1: Oh, we should um, go. We should yes. go. All right, I we're going to go. I, we're going to take like, the best podcast in baseball with Kevin Wheeler to Cooperstown. We're going to go. We got to go.
0: Yeah, that's definitely on the list of things we should go. That, that combined with getting to Fenway and Yankee Stadium are two things I need to do. You haven't done um, those either. No, and maybe all at once would be the best way to go, too. Well, we
1: could take a train. I've taken the train from, uh, you go from you go to Cooperstown, then you go catch the train in Albany and take the train down to New York. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, you can be my guide then. Then I've taken the train from New York to Boston. Oh, it's great. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, there we Those go. We got, we, got, 2 we got the, we got the loose
0: beginnings of, uh, of, of a
1: yeah. guy's trip. Yes, we do. Nice. All right. Yeah. On the
0: But I do think on the what, rails. They, what they do for that is great. Yeah. Right? I mean... I think, you know, there's, there, there's, there's a lot of great storytelling there, um, but unfortunately, I think we're also getting to the point now where we're altering the story, where we're making it seem like it's something that it's not like, it's, it's okay to tell the story the way it happened and not give us the disney version of it, right? I don't, I don't need the, the Disney version. I, I would like the real version of the sports history and you know, the, the standards being so inconsistently applied over there. Like, I still don't like the way that everybody did the, the whole thing with Pete Rose, where mm-hmm. they changed the rules for getting into the Hall of Fame a- after he accepted being on the band list. Right. Like, I thought that was dirty pool from the beginning. Um. And, you know, to me, if we're going to do things like that, let's just get it all together and say, listen, here are the things that you cannot be in the Hall of Fame for. And let, let's give, give it a standard. I mean, you are in charge, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they can make rules. Mm-hmm. And Major League Baseball, they can work with the commissioner's office and with owners and others. But really, it's not even worth all that. It's, it's a museum. It's not a church. It's a museum. So we can tell the whole story of the game, recognize achievement within each era. So mm-hmm. when we look at guys like Ty Cobb and, and Home Run Baker and all those guys from the early days, who were considered power hitters with nine or 10 home runs, we can also, you know, because we understand the context of the sport at the time, we can understand what they meant to the sport. And we can say the same thing about the guys that use steroids. Their numbers are on the high end of the spectrum. We know partly why, but it's not like they didn't make a contribution. The sport was wildly popular during that time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know. I kind of like the fact that a sport, changes its rules sometimes on a fly that is constantly about you know finding the next edge by walking up to the line and like a batter at the back end of the batter's box rubbing it just enough so that it's a gray area (laughs) you're not quite sure where the box ends you know that's kind of symbolic of baseball as a whole um i kind of like that uh that this that the hall is reflective of that. It's kind of perfect that the hall too, like the game is imperfect, and like all of us voting for it, and like all anybody going into it, and all that stuff. I kind of, kind of like that. It. it 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 often reflects the era in which it sits, um, while forcing us to look at past eras and always saying, "Gosh, we got to do better than that." So, I mean, we look back on the voting of. 50, 60 years ago and go, okay, well, we're doing better. Well, I'm sure that, you know, we'll leave enough for 50 to 60 years from now for them to look back and go, well, we're doing better. And that I kind of like, I kind of like that. I do. It's not- I would agree. I mean, I'm I, perfect, I think but that's it's part kind of, the kind fun of fitting. Of it, right? it, it, yeah. It's,
0: it's less, less science. It's less um, business-like and just more artistic. Is it, that the right way to put it?
1: Yeah. And part of why- baseball hangs around is because baseball grows with us right changes moves cities expands adds the dh yeah you know it 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 changes with us
0: it does I, i think the only problem that i have with the whole process is the human beings involved always look at change in their time as bad (laughs) <laughs> and they're always looking back to a glory days that did not really exist Yeah, and use that as a false standard for judging the modern time.
1: Yeah, I think there's less of that. That is, Kevin, I do think there's less of that. I think you're right, but I do think there's less of it. I think more than ever, voters and fans and folks like you and I'm trying are looking forward how to make it better moving forward both in the conversation about baseball and in the coverage of baseball but also in the honoring of baseball that's kevin wheeler who is a host for drive time at 11 20 a.m uh you can find him there at Camox.com and 11 20 a.m on your dial broadcast around the country because of the five thousand watt mega mega blow torch that would be fifty thousand, buddy sorry what did i say Did I say 5,000? 50,000. That wouldn't cover much ground. (laughs) That wouldn't cover much ground. I can get you in my neighborhood, Kevin. Nice. Coming in loud and clear. Uh, In your neighborhood,
0: you could probably get us on the FM side of it too.
1: You're right. You can also find all the constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com and in the pages of the St. Louis post dispatch. That's where they'll have chats. That's where we'll have all the stories from winter warm up, a wide ranging group of stories. And of course, we're right here on the eve of the content palooza. Is there a better way to put that, Kevin? That uh, that is spring training. The uh, the constant torrent of words and photos and videos and everything that comes um, annually from uh, from Jupiter, um, where the post dispatch will have uh, well, usually we'll have three writers and one photographer there. Committed to covering the Cardinals, so um, the idea is to have coverage unlike anywhere else, and uh, we know the uh, the 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 response that that gets, but also the responsibility of it. So that's our goal. Um, and uh, and then we'll have like a five thousand watt podcast, right, Kevin? <laughs> yes,
0: or, or fifty, uh, either way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> eh, the reach of the podcast here five thousand. That's good. <laughs> We aspire to be 50,000, but we're doing, we're, we're, we're humming along into our 11th year with 5,000. That's good. Nice. That's good. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by closets by design of St. Louis, and it's a production of stltoday.com, the St. Louis post dispatch and me, Derek Gould. Well, Kevin Wheeler, you're always uh, a hall of famer for me. Definitely on the hall of fame list when it comes to co-hosts and guests here on the best podcast in baseball. Thank you for, uh, for this, for this conversation about the hall and uh, we'll do it again next year, right?
0: Yeah, for sure, man. It's one of my favorite ones of the year, and I love doing this, so I'll do it anytime. Uh, and as long as it's not annoying to the listeners, I'll do it anytime. And you have yourself a safe trip down to Jupiter, my man.
1: Thank you. Next time we uh, talk, I'll be in Florida, and uh, then we'll start planning our uh, our trip to Cooperstown. Sound good? Let's go. All right. Maybe to see Scott Rowland inducted, possibly.
0: I like that.